is short of breath. I've got corona. <laughs> no, it's going to be loads of bread today. That's so um, bad. I'm so full of bread that I can't breathe. It's recording. Happy Tuesday. Are you under self-quarantine? Jenny is, just to stop myself eating bread. <laughs> no, I bought the bread because I was concerned that uh, we would not have a further opportunity to buy the bread, and I thought, well, I better carb load. I've been thinking <laughs> as I do every these... day. <laughs> <laughs> don't want to break the cycle. I've been thinking, like last night, I was saying to Jasper, like I don't want to be one of those people that goes to the shops, and I'm not going to panic buy. Obviously, I've panicked, but I'm a bit like. Yeah, but you live on your own. Yeah. Like, your panic buying looks like a regular two-person's <laughs> panic buying. It does, you're right. But, like, I'm just like, if we go, should we buy things for the freezer? I need some strep... I'm getting a sore throat. I need some strepsils. But then I look like a sick person, and then people are scared of you. No, I'm not here for it. So this is Wine Drunk and Weird. Eventually we got there. This is Episode Wine Drunk and Weird. three. Episode three. The that's, Corona that's, edition. Uh, not wine. Because no. we are staying on trend, on theme. We're staying on theme, but... And drinking... Well, we don't like Corona, so we're having Copperberg. Somehow no. that makes sense in our head. Don't question it. Yeah, um, but it's not Copperberg virus. <laughs> Whatever. I'm drinking in the daytime either way. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a bit weird. In London yesterday, there was so... So many people wearing masks, and so many people that clearly didn't give a shit. It was a bit quiet in places. It was really odd, like really strange. Yeah, I can imagine. Also, I was just making a conscious effort not to touch anything that wasn't mine. I've just and been... it's hard when you realise that just in the tubes you'll like touch the hand railing and stuff like that. Like, mm. yeah, I was just trying not to. I've just been well. I know. I know this is like a joke that's been made a lot, but I do genuinely already self isolate as far yeah. as possible. So. I feel like I'm in. I'm standing in pretty good stead. To I think be you'll be all right. I go to my office job, and there's a couple of people there who've had a cough. But uh, <laughs> the look on Jenny's face right now is just <laughs> sheer displeasure. Uh, who have you know? I appreciate that you know you really want to <clears throat> do your best at work and just come in, even if it's at the behest of all of your other colleagues. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know. Is what it is, I suppose. Yeah, I'm just... Uh, it's just difficult. Because you don't know who... I mean, I don't I don't care if I get sick. I had swine flu. Swine flu survivor. I get all the weird ones. You so. got hand, hand, foot, and mouth hand, foot, well, and mouth. didn't you? And I know that's for children. I think I got it when I was, like, 13. So, cool. I'm broken. <laughs> but I don't mind if I get it. But then if my mum gets it and then she gives it to my grandma, then yeah. that's just peak. And, oh, yeah. So, everyone just needs to stop panic buying. Look after each other. Be wary, be hygienic, and don't cough on people. Don't cough on people. And also, think to yourself, because I coughed in Sainsbury's the other day, and a woman... Oh, look, it's just a little... <clears throat> and a woman pulled her jumper up over her mouth and walked in the other direction, and she was about four metres away from me. Mm. So, think as well that if someone's coughing, I mean, yeah, avoid them. But if they're out in public, they're probably alright, because they're probably not as stupid as... I don't know. Give it a Just, give it a wide berth. <laughs> I think it's difficult because it has been left to sort of your own at your own discretion. Like mild symptoms, stay at home. But like one person's mild symptoms, like I've always got a cough because I smoke a lot, and I have well, I've asthma, got a cough now so... because I'm chuffing on a vape, trying to not smoke. But that stuff's just pure chemicals. No wonder I've got a cough. Yeah. So you can't really win. And then I also feel like we're in our age group and being healthy. 
sometimes it, you might not show for days. So it's mm-hmm. just that's very true. We'll we'll get there. But yeah, so other than that, everything alright with you? Yeah, all good. I mean. <laughs> Just concerned about the impending apocalypse. <laughs> Other than that, all good. As soon as we get our episode out on Tuesday, everything is fine. You guys need something to listen to while you self-isolate, so it's fine. <laughs> oh, God. Jenny texted me this morning, like, you sounded unwell on the vo- voice notes, so maybe we should reschedule. I'm like, you're a fucking pranghead. I'm coming over. <laughs> it's fine. i just woken up. Leave me alone. You sounded like you'd been outside and well, damp lucky for several for you. days. <laughs> Yes. Lucky for you, you were the first person I spoke to that day, so that's why I sounded like that. Okay, today is probably quite a long episode, but self-isolation people can keep busy. I'm um, I'm covering the horrific story of one of the most prolific serial killers in Britain, um, who has between 200 to 400 victims. Uh, I feel like it's necessary at this point to give a warning that this case involves children and babies, so do of that what you will. No hard feelings if babies are a trigger for you. So without further ado, let me tell you about Amelia Dyer, otherwise known as the Reading Baby Farmer. Reading as in... Reading as in down the road. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I think in order to start this, we'll go back to the beginning of her life. Amelia Dyer was born in 1836 and was the youngest of five children, with three brothers and a sister, just outside of Bristol in Pyle Marsh. Her father was a shoemaker, and unlike many children of the time, she wasn't born into poverty but money doesn't buy happiness or apparently mental health support, (laughs) especially in the mid-1800s. And Amelia Dyer's childhood was marred by her mother's mental illness. It was caused by typhus, a bacterial infection spread by parasites. As you can imagine, being working class in an impoverished area of Victorian Britain, such as Pyle Marsh, sounds like a disease. It does sound horrible. (laughs) Um, you're not going to last long once you've got a disease like this. Mm. The mortality rate for typhus in these circumstances was 60%. Mm. Today's circumstances... And it's from bugs as well. No, well, lice, lice it's a bacterial infection, oh, okay, sorry. but then you get parasites. Yeah. It's caught spread by parasites. Mm. Nice. Ooh. Obviously, they don't have good hy- didn't have good hygiene. Even if they did have good hygiene, it's not compared to now. They could still have had a bowl bath. Well, I think they probably did. I'm so clueless. I'm so clueless with like not knowing when running water is. I'm like, Mum, did you used to have to boil a kettle? And I'm like, Well, you were born in like the sixties, so probably not. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything. Mm. I don't know anything. I don't know literally anything. Okay, Dia witnessed her mother having violent fits, and she was obliged to care for her until she died, apparently raving mad, in 1848. It is later discussed by researchers of this case that watching her mother's health deteriorate taught Dyer about the signs exhibited by people who lose their minds through mental illness, remembering exactly what it looked like in case she ever had to feign illness herself. Her father died 11 years later, and in 1859, Dyer moved in with her aunt. Uh, I'm going to take this moment to discuss something we've lightly touched upon before uh, regarding the upbringing of people like Amelia Dyer, which is more common amongst most serial killers than that of Dennis Rader, who had a relatively normal childhood. Childhood trauma can have a massive effect on serial killers as they develop. Mm. According to the 2014 article, Neurodevelopmental and Psychosocial Risk Factors in Serial Killers and Mass Murderers, researchers note how psychosocial stressors, including significant traumatic events during childhood, such as major surgery or illness, psychological, physical or sexual abuse, or something like the death of a family member or loved one. Considering the relatively privileged upbringing that Amelia Dyer had, it isn't a big leap to assume that some of the more ingrained reasons for her actions later in life are due to experiencing such a traumatic event at a young age, 
altering her perception of the world around her as she grew up. So, I mean, you would, wouldn't you, if your mum was... Yeah, I mean, it would definitely give died. you a different view on things. But the fact we that she was already... have relationship either. Yeah, and to be already uh, looking at that behaviour to mimic it is yeah questionable. <clears throat> she learned to read and write and love literature and poetry, but went on to work as an apprentice for a corset maker. Whilst her eldest brother Thomas inherited the shoe business from her father, she became permanently estranged from her other brother James and moved into lodgings in Trinity Street. It was here that 24-year-old Amelia Dyer met her 57-year-old husband George. George Thomas, that is. Nice. He was recently widowed, and five months after burying his late wife, Dyer and Thomas married. They both lied about their ages on their marriage certificate. Amelia claimed to be 30, and George said 48. I don't know why. Why does that make it any different? I mean, I don't know, but I also have no... She was older than 18, or 16. Yeah. So I have no idea why that matters. I suppose make it a bit more socially acceptable. Yeah. She's just a sugar baby. (laughs) The marriage itself was unusually unceremonious. They married at a registry office, and neither of them had any family present. Uh, Dyer claimed she didn't speak to any of her family by this point. After they got married, Dyer trained as a nurse at the Bristol Royal Infirmary. The profession of nursing was becoming an increasingly well-thought-of career due to the popularity of nurse and activist Florence Nightingale. There's so many names dropped in this case. It's like, I didn't... Again, I don't know if I even knew she was a real person or not. Florence Nightingale? I mean, I knew she was, but I thought she was more wartime. I think she was, wasn't she? Well, this is the mid-1800s, so 1914 was the First World War. We know nothing. <laughs> oh, dear. I've been um, to see her grave, Florence Nightingale. Where is it? Somewhere. We know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have a picture of me wearing a Harry Potter hoodie. It's like... <laughs> Appropriate. <laughs> At Florence Nightingale's grave with my sister and Nan. That's so weird. (laughs) I like it though. I really liked her in year two when we did her, The Lady in the Lamp. Oh yeah. Mm. She um, made nursing like a good thing rather than like something that poor women do. She was the OG influencer. (laughs) Surviving in a city as a poorer woman was hard. Factory work or sex work were the two most common jobs for women in Victorian England. And statistics show that one in 12 women at this time were sex workers, which is, I was actually shocked, to be fair, but... I wonder what it is now. Yeah. I mean, with things like OnlyFans Only and that, it's probably, like, not that... I know, but then different. do you categorise yourself as a oh, no. sex worker if um, you work in an office but you're making some people, extra papes? Some people do count it as sex work. Like I've got a family friend who refers to herself as a sex worker, but she, to my knowledge, just does... Only fans. Right. I guess you could do it on based on what you earn more in. But then she doesn't have a, another job. Oh, yeah. So, so she I is a sex worker, I guess. Like I don't know. It's weird. I don't know. I don't Sex work that... is still work, so who cares? But I don't know how you would pick it, how you would say oh, you're a sex worker or I work in a bank. I don't know if you do both. I think it would depend on your audience. Yeah. Daddy, <laughs> I get my tits out for men on the internet. They fucking love it. And that's why I don't have to ask you for 20 quid at the end of the month anymore. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <clears throat> Sorry, God. yes. Back to no, the legit. murdering of babies. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, one in 12 women were sex workers. Possibly the similar to today, but times are tough. When the image of nursing was drastically improved and more training was available, Amelia Dyer jumped at the chance. This career path made sense for Dyer as she was apparently a natural caregiver. So <laughs> ironic. 
that was after she was looking after her mother. Oh, right, yeah. At age 26, Dyer became pregnant with her first child and had to stop working, relying solely on her husband's income. She gave birth to a little girl called Ellen Thomas. Around this time, she encountered another Ellen called Ellen Dane, a midwife who she met when Dane stayed with her in Bristol. Dane taught Dyer a new way to earn a living, providing lodgings for young women out of her own home. The women that Dyer helped... There's a huge, fat quotation mark around helped, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, had conceived illegitimate children, and this was frowned upon massively at the time, especially since there was a new law passed in 1834 called the Poor Law Amendment Act, which relieved any financial obligation from fathers of illegitimate children. Oh, okay. Safe. Really cool. That's mad. Good law passing there. <laughs> great, great law. Great. The aim of this act was to try and curb premarital relations and act as a deterrent. But as we see time and time again, then and now, governments really know what they're doing. By the time Amelia Dyer and Ellen Dane met, the births of illegitimate children were on the rise. In the period of mass industrialization that Victorian Britain brought about, class divisions were becoming greater and increasingly more difficult. And it was increasingly more difficult for the working class and lower class to keep their heads above water. Homelessness was rife and people were forced into workhouses just to keep some shelter. In such hard times, working class women that found themselves pregnant out of wedlock were desperate for some assistance. Enter Amelia Dyer, her lodgings and the beginning of her baby farming. The term baby farmer is pretty much as literal as it sounds. For a small fee, Dyer would take unwanted babies into her home and promise to find them loving homes. Pretty much what we would associate social services, adoption, fostering with today. Yeah. Um, Oh, it was way less regulated though. Yeah. Um, This was a more desirable solution than putting children in orphanages, as they would usually be turned away if they were from illegitimate relationships. Okay. The only exception is if they were legitimate, but the father had died. Right. Baby farming was a good job for women, as it offered them an opportunity to earn income that wasn't from a workhouse. From the mother's point of view, the highest risk to them was being exploited for the financial gain of the, quote, nurse. Wealthy families that were anxious about keeping the birth a secret could pay as much as £80 for the services, which is about... £9,800 in today's money. Okay. So they would have the babies and just give them over to her? Um, They were kind of like different stages. So yeah, like they either had the baby and gave it to her f- for adoption. For some money. Um, yeah, or she took them in when they were pregnant and right, like, okay. was a midwife as well. But yeah, I put today's money in because I'm always interested yeah. when you talk about old money, like what it is now. So yeah, uh, wealthier women, £80 for the services, which is yeah 9800 in today's money. However, it was usually more impoverished women in society who required these services, and they would pay about £5, which is roughly £600 today. The description I've just given of baby farming was along the same lines as what Dyer would have initially been told, but she soon found out it was far from the humane act of charity that it appeared. It was insidious, and Dyer didn't hesitate to make herself the centre of it all. Some baby farmers did act honestly and had good intentions, as you'd expect from people who are voluntarily dealing with children. Mm. But Ellen Dane, who was Dyer's mentor, didn't. Dane would neglect the baby and pocket the fee that had been paid to look after them. The neglect entailed underfeeding them, drugging them with opioids and alcohol, or smothering them to death. Oh my god. Mm. Yeah. That's horrible. (laughs) Once the baby had died, the death certificate would simply read that the baby had, quote, wasted away. Wasted away? Because you weren't feeding it? Yeah. How's that? Okay. Oh my god. Okay. But as you can imagine, this is easy to believe within Victorian Britain's standards of living. Yeah. And the loophole for Dane was that the mother had already abandoned the child, meaning it wouldn't be missed or have anyone looking for it. So it would literally just vanish. Oh my vanish. god, this is so horrible already. Yeah, it's really horrible. Okay. And Dane isn't even uh, the worst of them. Yeah. Okay. On October 18th, 1869, 
Amelia Dyer's husband, George Thomas, died when he was 67. This left Dyer alone as a young widow with a child to care for. Instead of seeking a job as a trained nurse or reaching out to connect with her family, Dyer turned to a new business she'd recently picked up from her pal, Ellen. <laughs> so, so far, we've established that Amelia Dyer is a serial killer. And we've assumed who her victims will be, and I'll get back to that in a bit. But the point I kept circling back to throughout researching this case is what happened to her own daughter. Ellen Dyer's daughter. Amelia Dyer's daughter, Ellen Thomas. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, was she a victim? As she got older, did she allow it to happen? Mm -hmm. Did she help? Um, The answer is none of the above. When Dyer decided she was going to open her home to baby farming, she farmed out her own daughter, giving her away to someone else. Oh my gosh. This wasn't an attempt to protect her or keep her away from horrific things that were about to take place in her home. She did it because it meant it was one less mouth to feed, so she didn't have to spend her money on her. Great parenting. Female serial killers are not very common. This isn't to say that women don't do bad things, but women who commit murder can be categorised quite easily. They are a lot more likely to snap in the heat of the moment, be vindictive or act out of jealousy regarding like boyfriend or whatever, hence the term scorned woman. But these women are not repeat serial killers. They're one-off explosions of like passion or anger or something. Yeah. Women often internalise their pain. They don't project it with violent acts. Due to there being fewer... Ser- uh, fewer cases of serial killers less is known about the psychology behind it but it has been proven that female serial killers can be placed into two groups angel of death and prophet killers um, angel of death cases are essentially people who play god the acts are committed by a doctor nurse or other form of caregiver right and is basically deciding if someone should continue living with their ongoing illness or Acting if they should god, be yeah put out of their misery yeah. Which obviously isn't legal, yeah, no, and no. they use their knowledge and resources to end a life. Which obviously is why um, <laughs> the euthanasia argument is so. Yeah, because important. you don't. Because it's no one can play God. Yeah, but then it, it depends on whether you are into God at all, and I don't think well, it's less and less for, in our demographic anyway. I think. Yeah. When these types of criminals are allowed to escalate, they start to encompass the easily treatable and sometimes even healthy people. So they start hurting people that are going to die anyway and then just take it too far. But profit killers are just that. They kill for the sole pers- purpose of making money. And they're usually emotionless and have a total lack of compassion. From the description I've given so far of Amelia Dyer's action, she seems like a total profit killer making a quick paycheck for some emotionless work, but also falls into the caregiver category of angel of death. So, Mm. it's a weird one. Yeah, she was described as caring by others. She cared for her mother and was a nurse, and she had her own child, so she probably had a soul at some point. Uh, But the darker side of those aspects is that she saw her mother die raving mad after carefully observing the behaviour she needed to fake later in life. Yeah. Yeah, she was a nurse, but nursing in those days was for the emotionally distant and, like, people that didn't really have any family because there was such long hours. So she developed a lack of compassion and like a tough exterior with that. And regarding her own child, she sent her away. So, yeah. And her daughter think, was found later to own, to be found in a consensus with the parental status of orphan. Like her mum didn't even take any like responsibility for being really? a parent. Yeah. She just found her out as in didn't even say that she was anything to do with her. Yeah. Yeah. That's so awful. But I, I mean, think that's luckily the worst she thing gave... she's done so far. Yeah, but luckily she gave her to someone that was actually a baby farmer. Like, that gave her to another family. Okay. She didn't Not give her... that makes it okay. Yeah, but, but she didn't give her to someone like Ellen Dane who yeah. killed them. Which, I mean, if you know that that's happening, why would you want to... Well, she just didn't give a fuck, clearly. Mm. But, yeah. So, um, 
I think losing her main source of financial stability when George died only led her more into the category of product killer, systematically killing individuals for money. But yeah. we can we can circle back and you can let me know what you think. One thing is for certain, though, and that is that it's not common for women to kill children who aren't their own. As a society, we feel more comfortable leaving children with women, teenage girl babysitters, and other women to watch your kid play in the park. And even as young adults, we naturally feel safer being around a man we don't know if there is a woman present, even yeah. if we don't know her either. Well, that's why a lot of like serial killers will have like a female companion, like a... Ian Brady had Myra Hindley yeah. um, to, because they Fred were picking Rose. up little girls and, um, well, little children and you'd be much more inclined to get in the car with what you thought were a couple, which is weird because, like, why? But then... I know. It's because you, you, as a kid, it's always, like, the bad man, isn't it? Like a, yeah, and I think as you get older, you have more trust in women because why would the, why would a woman be like that? Like, Rose West, what, like, there's so unlikely that a woman would mm. be like that, that Fred Fred West was the better one out of the two of them. Oh, that's debatable. Oh, we'll come on to that yeah, another well, time. At some point, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so, obviously, the women who left their children in the care of Amelia Dyer were desperate, but they still made the decision to leave their child with a woman, trusting that she wouldn't hurt them. Yeah. From the moment that Amelia opened for business, she was elusive, using aliases when posting advertisements and dealing with clients. She posted her first advertisement in 1869, shortly after her husband's death, and often referred to herself as Mrs. Smith. Common. Yeah. Um, making herself undetectable by law enforcement, because the bar was literally that low then. Yeah. After an advertisement was placed, a woman in need would respond to her, and if she was in the later stage of pregnancy, she would move in with Dyer in her home. Once the baby was born, she would look after her. She would offer to look after the baby for a weekly fee, or offer to adopt it outright for a higher one-time payment. If the woman who was responding to the advert had already given birth, Amelia would offer to foster the child and find it a home, which obviously she didn't do. So they'd move in with her, have the baby, and what the then the mum would baby. just go. Yeah, but then if she's like charging a weekly fee. Would that be like the mum's going to come back and eventually get it? Um, no. No. It's like, um, she's Forever. being the middleman for a fostering Until... thing. So once she's found them a home, okay. quote, yeah. like, they'll be charged, she'll be charging them. But okay. We can't assume how many babies she had under her roof at a time, but I think it's safe to presume that she had a full house. This is a speculated reason as to when and why she wouldn't kill them, just because she was running out of space. Like, mm. why she would kill them, rather. Because she was just running out of space and wanted more babies for more money. There was never a simple way that she would end their lives, either. Her methods were exactly the same as Ellen's at the beginning. So, suffocation, starvation, or poison. If she tried to suffocate the child, sometimes she would do so as she was aiding the mother in the birth. So she would smother it as, as it's... it'd come out, and then it so would be the a stillborn. Think... Yeah. Yeah. That's horrific. Um, yeah, it would give the appearance of being a stillborn. It is harder to detect if a baby has been suffocated rather than an adult. Um, And with her background in nursing, Diane knew how to make this MO work in her favour when it came to getting doctors to sign death certificates. Obviously, this could not be a frequently used method of murder, as even though it was Victorian Britain, word of mouth still existed, and it would surely get out that if you went there to have your child, it would die. Yeah, yeah. Equally, there weren't enough doctors in Bristol to sign death certificates for her to keep this up. When she wasn't suffocating newborns, she was starving older babies. She would just ignore them, replacing them with another one once they'd stopped crying forever. 
that's not a uh, peaceful way of going about things because no. those babies are gonna like. I know that's a horrible, like horrible way of thinking, but like that's not gonna be quiet. No, I'd say then the poisoning was possibly the better one. Better, um, yeah, <laughs> the preferred one. <laughs> when it came to poisoning the children, Dyer used an opioid concoction called Godfrey's Cordial, which she would put a spoonful of in the baby's mouth, and they would just fall asleep and never wake up. So. Okay, it's some more humane if we're going to have to kill any babies. If we have to kill babies, that's probably the way to go. I'd still rather not kill any babies. Yeah. Based on the economic situation at the time and the commonality of infant death, matched with her emotionless attachment to healthcare, it was easy to see how she could do this to babies so remorselessly, mm. especially when there was a fat paycheck at the end of the day. Another reason for Dyer to be so emotionless when it came to murdering babies is that she was a drug addict. Oh, go, go on. What's she doing? Uh, she was abusing a substance called laudanum, which contained many opioid alkaloids, including morphine and codeine. Oh, there was like a fuckload more as well. But she's loving it. She's yeah. perked out. This is still available today, but is usually only used to treat withdrawal symptoms in babies born from the heroin addicted mum. Fucking hell. So gnarly. Uh, one year into her baby farming business, her, her mentor Ellen Dane had to leave the UK and move to the US as she was slowly being found out about and needed to evade arrest. This was the last time that she's been heard about in history, oh, really? so I'm assuming okay. that she didn't get caught for anything mm-hmm. else. Uh, this was the last time that Dyer had heard from her and should have made her second guess what she was doing now and that the risks were very real. But this didn't happen as Amelia was certain she could continue hiding behind her aliases. This was until the arrest and trial of another baby farmer started to give clues to Dyer's operation and send her into hiding. <clears throat> Margaret Waters, born in 1835, was a baby farmer working out of Brixton with the help of her sister, Sarah Ellis. Dyer and Waters kept a business correspondence and even farmed some of the babies together. And Waters used the same methods of starvation and poison to kill the babies. Everything was running smoothly for Margaret and her sister until they had a client who wished to keep tabs on the baby. This is an unusual situation in the baby farming industry. This man was called Robert Cohen, who sought out help when he found out his 17-year-old daughter was pregnant. He saw an advertisement that read, quote, Adoption, a respectable couple desire the entire charge of a child to bring up as their own, in a position to offer every comfort, end quote, with the name Mrs Willis attached to it. Mrs Willis was an alias used by Margaret Waters. <gasps> Waters agreed to bring in the child that had already been born. Right. Um, he was called John Walter Cohen. And after delivering the child, Robert offered to give her money in exchange for visitation, like to make sure that the kid was doing all right. Right, okay. Margaret wasn't a fan of this, as she was slowly starving the child in her home. Oh, well, yeah, Mm. that makes sense. And in her opinion, Robert Cohen was becoming a rogue client that she couldn't get rid of. Robert started to sense something was wrong, so he called the police and showed up alongside them at Walter's house on June 11th, 1870, and discovered ten babies, John Cohen among them, were on the verge of dying due to starvation and neglect. Fucking hell. All of the babies had been drugged with laudanum to ease the pain and keep them quiet or knock them out. John Cohen was immediately rushed to a proper wet nurse and was cared for, but he did die as a result. Oh no... Amelia was now in her early 30s and read about Margaret Waters and Sarah Ellis's arrest in the paper. The trial started in September and was a media storm, as this was the first time the general public knew the actions that some baby farmers were taking against vulnerable children. One of the more damning moments of the trial was the testimony of Dr George Puckle. He was present at the scene of the discovery and arrest. When discussing the body of John Cohen, he said, quote, "...the body was extremely emaciated, his bones were protruding through his skin." 
it was miserably wasted and nothing but skin and bones. Mm. I was in the house for nearly half an hour. There wasn't any crying or motion from any of them, end quote. So that's all ten. None of them were, like, moving. But they weren't even dead. (sighs) That's actually horrible. Yeah. Amelia learned of things that had directly connected her with Margaret and she started to get nervous. A mutual associate of theirs, Dr William Harding, was being investigated for the death of an actress due to a failed abortion. During this investigation, Harding recounted a story of an illegitimate baby he had discovered a year prior. The nurse who helped with the delivery was Mrs Harding. So, not his not his wife, it's just a name coincidence. Mm-hmm. But this is actually one of Amelia's aliases. Oh, okay. Yeah. He said she took the baby away to be farmed to Margaret Waters. I don't know if this baby died in Margaret's care. We can assume probably, probably that it did. Um, but the police never investigated this testimony and Dyer dodged a bullet. Lucky girl. Margaret Waters, however, paid for her crimes. Although she was only convicted of one murder, she was actually responsible for 19. Fuck. Waters was sentenced to hang. Her sister, Sarah Ellis, was acquitted of all charges of murder, but did plead guilty to fraud and was sentenced to 18 months of hard labour. On the 11th of October, Amelia Dyer... Yeah, I think it's, like, literally, like, breaking rocks. I wish that that was still a punishment. (laughs) Could you imagine? Yeah, like, oh, we're going to send you to prison. You can, uh, you know, play some PS4. You can eat some noodles. It'll be, you know, quite shit. But you can also go to the gym and get really ripped and you'll probably still have ciggies and loads of weed and tiny little phones to shove up your ass. Yeah. But I'm... Absolutely no way... Go and break up some rocks. Yeah. Yeah, literally. Um, On 11th October, Amelia Dyer found out that her business partner, Margaret Waters, had been executed by hanging. After her execution, more and more evidence would be discovered, including letters with the names addressed to Mrs. Harding, a.k.a. Margaret Waters. I fucked up there before. I said Harding was Amelia, but it was actually Margaret Waters. Whatever. That's, it was them. Two of them together. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there was letters between the two of them, the correspondence with Mrs. Harding, which was Margaret Waters, and Mrs. Smith, which was Amelia Dyer. Even though these had come out and Dr. Harding's testimony was out, Dyer was never questioned by the police. Sure. Even though she was in the free and clear, Amelia questioned whether she should continue baby farming and had to ask herself whether the money was worth facing hanging for her crimes. Although the money was good, she decided to go back to honest work, meaning she became a nurse's attendant at Bristol Lunatic Asylum. That's good. Stop yeah. with the baby murders. This story has everything. Like, literally, there's everything. This had the same traits as being a nurse, long hours and hardly any money compared to baby farming. So she wasn't very happy because she was earning about a pound a month. (laughs) (laughs) That is literally how I feel. (laughs) So wait, so five pounds is 600 pounds now. So one pound is like... A hundred pounds. So she was making like a hundred pound a month. But good, she killed loads of babies. I know, I know. This was a late 19th century insane asylum. So basically picture American Horror Story Asylum. Mm -hmm. And then imagine the person strapping patients down, kills babies for money. Like, this is... You could make a horror film, to be fair. When she wasn't restraining violent patients, she was cleaning and feeding patients and overseeing them when they were outside. She got tired of it and looked for different work, but she wasn't done with asylum life. (laughs) She worked with women who were suicidal and depressed, and she noted how the patients acted and compared them to her mother, combining all of her knowledge about the insane to use later she noted how they had a hot meal three hot meals a day oh my god she a bed in. some recreational activity what the fuck if things ever got too difficult in the real world she could always pretend oh yeah okay yeah good one 
She stopped nursing in 1872 and reconnected with her daughter that she farmed out. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, Welcome home. back. <laughs> um, she also met her new husband, William Dyer, who was an unskilled and literate labourer. In 1873, they had their first child together, Marianne, who was also known as Polly. I have no idea why. And a few years later, their second child, William Samuel. Her son, William, that is his only mention, because her husband is also called William. So if I ever mention a William, it's the husband, the husband not the okay. son. Their initial source of income was William's money, but which was not much, and then some rent from renting out their spare room. But five years into their marriage, William lost his job. With a full house and an impending fi- financial crisis, Amelia Dyer saw no other option but to go back to baby farming. Be a sex worker, or work at a factory, or whatever. If every other one in 12 women is on OnlyFans, you should get on there too. (laughs) Exactly. In 1877, six years after she stopped, before she started advertising again and quickly got back into it, place ad, accept baby, kill it, take money, repeat, was her, like, mantra of life. Wow. I know. Nice mantra. The initial time she was baby farming, no one knows how many babies she was responsible for, but thanks to the the later recollections of her daughter Polly, it is now estimated that she housed up to six babies at a time, charging minimum £5 a piece. She was doing okay for money, because that's about £30 a month. Okay. She had about six every new month, yeah. Yeah. She was doing okay for cash, and uh, from this kind of greed, we can definitely see she's a profit killer, I think. Yeah. Yeah. She's just killing babies to make room for more and earning more than she needs. Yeah. I mean, you can never have too much money, but... She's not anything else out of it. She, uh, presumably she doesn't... Well, she might She might not hate it. I don't think she does, because she's a drug addict. Yeah. Which takes me on to my next part. Because her daughter... She's just making her daughter suffer, to be fair. She was a raging drug, drug addict by this point, and her daughter Polly even noted how she was drinking it from the bottle. I assume it's like a pipette situation. Yeah. So instead of being concerned about her family needs, it was clear that Dyer needed money to fuel the drug addiction. The laudanum made the killing of babies easier too, as it dulls quite a lot of your emotions. The cycle of needing drugs to kill children and then needing to kill the children to buy the drugs that make you able to kill the children. It was just like a broken system. Polly also recounted how Dyer recruited her eldest daughter, Ellen, to help her look after the babies, but she didn't know what the killing methods were. And she didn't pay much attention to the fact that the baby stopped crying permanently. That's Polly, the youngest daughter. Yeah, I suppose, like, when you're that young, and if you're have, if you around that a lot, you wouldn't think anything of it, I don't think. Yeah, especially if you just have no idea how babies are supposed to be. Yeah, absolutely. Amelia Dyer was baby farming uninterrupted for two years and was starting to get smug, thinking her aliases were a protective shield, and that the connection between herself and the now-deceased Margaret Waters was also dead and buried. At this time, when a baby died in a house, a doctor would come to the house to determine cause of death and an undertaker would join them to remove the baby. But in 1879, a doctor that came to the Dyer residence noted that four babies had died whilst in her care in only two weeks. Um, that's quite bad odds. Yeah, he found it odd, obviously. He went to the police the same week her house was raided and they found the baby's bodies. Convinced she'd been caught, she attempted suicide and drank two full bottles of laudanum. But due to her being a full addict, her tolerance was so high that she barely passed out. Oh my god. I know. (laughs) She made herself look guilty and she was arrested and charged for violating the Infant Life Protection Act of 1872. I've written 1972 and like 1977 in like loads of places, so it just (laughs) seems like it's really recent. Violating this act was a hangable offence. 
but the evidence against her was mostly circumstantial, which is a joke, really, because all of the babies were found poisoned and starved in her home. But because there was no direct link to her being the one to give the poison or to not give the food, oh my um, God. she couldn't be charged, let alone executed. How in the, I know, it's just... Yeah, so this is the understatement ever. In the eyes of the court, she was just a bad caregiver. She was found guilty of negligence and was sentenced to six months hard labour at Shepton Mallet Prison, which I think was, like, a horrible, horrible mm. one. She was released from Shepton Mallet in February 1880 and apparently went mad while she was in there from the harsh living conditions and hard labour. It didn't reform her and it made her want to change her methods and continue with what she was doing without getting caught and what she would continue to do so for 16 years. Another 16 years? Yeah. Fucking hell. Yeah. When she left the prison, she attempted an honest living for a bit, corset making at a workhouse. It was long hours and hardly any pay, which is apparently what every job is, except baby farming. (laughs) (laughs) There is just one option for me, and it's baby farming. I have to do it. I'm sick of admin. (laughs) (laughs) She now had no money and a reputation as a baby farmer, which was hard on her family, obviously. Ellen Thomas ran away from home because of this. Um, the Dyers moved home a lot, but due to no steady money, it was like they were moving every other week because they couldn't make rent and stuff. Mm-hmm. For three years, Amelia kept failing at earning an honest wage when the collapse of her final attempt at an honest living via running a general store fell apart. Oh, she, look, do you know what? She is trying. She Yeah. She's just a bit fickle. Like, be a corset maker. And then be a better corset maker and then make money. Don't yeah. just be like, I'm going to do this. Now baby farm a bit and do this. But, uh, you know, it does seem like she's trying other stuff and all she is ever good at is baby farmering. Yeah, she's just scared of getting farmering. caught, though. She doesn't give a shit. She just doesn't want to get caught. Yeah, that's true. She knew how easy it would be to go back to baby farming. And in 1884, that's what she did. She started taking in babies from women of a more respectable class. And instead of targeting poor women who wanted to unload the financial burden of a baby, her new preferred clients were women who got pregnant whilst having an affair and <gasps> wanted to hide the evidence. Mm. Yes. They had more cash to spare and more on the line, meaning the children truly would not be missed. Yeah. She changed her methods of murder and body disposal. Yeah, instead of the slower method of starving or poisoning, she would adopt a baby for a higher fee of £80. And straight up strangle them so she could just get another one in straight away. Oh my god. She would take a piece of tape, place it around the baby's neck and pull and dispose of their body in the Thames. Tape. Enclosed in a bag weighed down with bricks. Thought I'd say that quickly so it was just yeah. out there. Yeah, like I don't know if it, or I don't know if it's tape or if it's like a bandage or something. Uh, either way, fucking horrible. Horrific, yeah. As a baby farmer, she made an agreement with her clients that they would be severing all ties with their children. Not all of them wanted this. She lied her way out of them seeing their babies, though, so she said that they were already adopted and yeah. stuff like that. Until a young governess, I love her, <laughs> we don't have the name of her, though, was writing to Amelia, and this would prove to be her undoing. <gasps> yes! She's like a full enemy. Like, they're like arch nemesis. This okay. story is so good. <laughs> she was pregnant and wanted to move in with Amelia. She moved in, gave birth, and left. Everything was fine until she came back to make her final payment to Amelia and asked to see her child. Amelia showed her a random child and she knew it wasn't hers. She refused to pay Amelia until she could see her baby, but it was already buried at the bottom of the Thames. No. Mm. By this point, the governess had actually married the baby daddy and he also wanted their baby back. (gasps) Yeah. Oh no. She told them a bullshit story about how she met a couple on a train station platform and gave it to them, like, to adopt. So she had no idea. Then they got on a train and disappeared and she didn't know where they were going. 
they followed this lead, but it obviously led to nothing. Um, and they brought police to her house once again, but Amelia was gone. Her husband, William, informed the police that Amelia had died and the police believed him, but the governess didn't. Amelia was hiding at a boarding house in Woodhill, a coastal town near Bristol, and she stayed there for a year, working as a nurse. And she actually really enjoyed it. That's great for her. <laughs> she only, Good to know. The only reason she returned to her family home in Bristol was because her husband had lost his job and the family was struggling. But once she returned, they moved house almost constantly to stay off the governess's scent. She's like she's properly getting chased around the country by a random. Woman. Yeah, it's <laughs> jokes. I love her. However, in October eighteen ninety one, the governess found her and brought the police to Amelia again, but she wasn't going to jail. They questioned her about the whereabouts of the governess's child, and she stuck to her original adoption story. No one had any evidence against her, but the close call of being caught again pushed her over the edge, and she attempted suicide again. This time, she didn't try with laudanum, and instead, her husband William came home to find her. I want to laugh, but like... Go on, laugh. (laughs) Uh, Her husband William came home to find her on the floor with slash marks across her throat, but she was still alive. And everything I read, she was like writhing, like wriggling around on the floor. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm allowed to laugh. She killed babies. What a stupid way to try and kill yourself, both of them. She claimed to be having a nervous breakdown, like voices told her to slash her own throat. Yeah, it's all the dead babies, bitch. Yeah, mate. Exactly. Polly was in charge of looking after her. <laughs> Lucky <laughs> so Polly. bad for her. It is unclear as to whether she was actually unwell and experiencing PTSD from her stint in Shepton Mallet or if she was just faking it to go and have a vacation in the asylum. A few weeks after her erratic behaviour began, William contacted a physician who thought it would be best if she went to the county asylum in Gloucester. In mid-November 1891, she began her stay there and it became apparent that she was actually sane as her behaviour totally calmed down when she was not being observed anymore. She was discharged and went back to her home. Assuming the governess drama was done, she went right back to opening a baby farm. Oh my god, she loves it. She loves it. I've literally never known someone so passionate. It literally seemed like she was addicted to killing babies and making papes. Her marriage was ending as she... (laughs) This is jokes. How is her marriage only just ending? Her marriage was ending as she didn't value her husband at all. He was a step down from her social class and being illiterate, she just didn't care about his opinions on anything. (laughs) (laughs) Me at every man on earth. (laughs) This is my favourite bit. She ignored him, just in general. (laughs) She ignored him and continued oh. working on her farm. And apparently the house was littered with babies. I, if I was him, I'd be like, see ya. Why would... I can't find a man and I'm alone, one woman. And this woman is literally a person with hundreds of random illegitimate babies and dead ones lying around. It's probably because she's balling because of all of it. He's okay. like, yeah, I'll just stick around. I'll be rich then. <laughs> In 1893, there was a knock at Amelia's door. It was the governess and her husband. I'm back, bitch. <laughs> Give me my child. Me. <laughs> uh, and her husband. And they wanted the truth about their child. Not much is known about this meeting, except that it didn't last long. And Amelia left immediately afterwards <laughs> to go and buy some drugs. <laughs> her daughter Polly claimed that she came home with enough to actually kill herself. And it seemed that was... She was intending to commit suicide once and for all. Yet again, she failed. And when William returned to the house with some doctors, she was violent with them and pleaded insanity straight away. 
She was committed to the Somerset <laughs> County Asylum, but was only there for a short time. In less than a month, she was back at home just to leave William before moving on and taking their children. Even though absolutely nothing good has ever come from her baby farming work, Dyer refused to find another source of income and continued to take in babies wherever she moved to. She moved home every few weeks to try and escape the governess, who has fully become her enemy. Like, <laughs> she has like a, yeah. Well, it sounds like the governess is trying to hunt her the fuck down. Yeah, yeah man, for sure. Four months after getting home from the asylum, the governess and police showed up on her doorstep yet again. And again, there were no charges brought to her. And she wanted to go to the asylum. She was just like, just, to, <laughs> I'll just go there, Hans. <laughs> that's fine it's fine I'll just take me there it's all good after one night in the asylum the doctors didn't see a reason for her to continue as she wasn't insane <laughs> when this plan failed she went with her old favourite baby she, farming uh, no she attempted suicide oh okay the, her second favourite is attempting suicide okay. top favourite baby farming her choice of death this time was drowning but she did so in a body of water that was barely up to her knees <laughs> fuck off um, so not really a strong like attempt <laughs> like it was just clearly for show this one she was taken in and observed for two weeks but doctors realised that she wasn't crazy she had depression but that was a side effect of the laudanum addiction yeah, yeah. so she wasn't even she didn't even start out having anything wrong with her she gave it to herself and it still wasn't enough to put her in a mental asylum she was released from the asylum in 1895 and constantly moving around and being a single parent she had no money after declaring poverty she was sent to the barton regis workhouse which as i said at the beginning of the story is nobody's first choice Mm. her children had married off and moved away leaving her with no choice like rightly fucking so could you imagine if your mum was this person and she was like can i come and live with you and your husband yes please mummy (laughs) yeah you're the best you're the best. <laughs> Thanks for when you farmed me out to strangers. No, this is her other daughter. That oh, one's Polly. just fucking dusted. She's like, nah, bye. She had no other choice, and the workhouse put a roof over her head at the end of the day. She also thought that while she was a poor nobody in a workhouse, the governess would not be able to find her. Mm-hmm. Dun, dun, dun. While in the workhouse, she made a pal called Jane Smith. And Jane Smith would become her new assistant when Dyer... Started baby farming again! Yay! It's back! It's back! Jane was a 70-year-old vulnerable widow who 59-year-old Amelia definitely took advantage of to get herself set up again. She convinced Jane it was a noble profession, helping those in need, which it was before Ellen Dane's version came in. Um, Amelia also said that they would do this and spend the remainder of their days living together as sisters. Jane was clearly lonely and agreed to it, which might actually break my heart. Yeah. Is she going to... No. Nothing happens to Jane. Jane's Jane's a hun in this. She's good. Dyer immediately took in as many babies as she could and left left out the killing part to Jane. She would take a baby out of the house and come back with a different one. And to Jane, this was just how baby farming worked. She didn't know any better. And Amelia had her whole trust. So I don't know if Jane was really naive, but Amelia insisted on continuing to move house every few months to keep the governess from ruining her plans again. But obviously you'd be a bit like... Mm. Mm. Suspicious. Very suspicious. Uh, They ended up living in Reading. Oh! So that's how she got the name Reading Baby Farmer. Okay. Amelia Dyer was an active serial killer for 30 years without capture for her crimes and has potentially upwards of 300 victims. But it's got to come to an end. So (coughs) this next was pretty gnarly, but it, it ends in her getting caught. So we persevere. Evelyn Marmon had her baby Doris Marmon in 1896. 
She posted an advertisement looking for a wet nurse, and right next to her advert, there was one from a Mrs Harding looking to adopt a baby for a loving family. The coincidence led Mrs Harding, who's Amelia Dyer, to convince Evelyn to give her the baby as it would be well looked after. Amelia went to Cheltenham to pick up baby Doris, and Evelyn was shocked when it turned out the woman who had been writing to her was in her 50s. It made her uneasy, but she was put at ease when she saw how much Doris liked Amelia. For £10, Amelia took Doris and promised Evelyn that she could come and see her whenever she wanted to. Amelia sent a letter to Evelyn a few days later confirming that they'd gotten back okay. Evelyn responded asking how Doris was doing, but Amelia never replied. Doris never made it back to Reading, and instead Amelia took the train to Wilsdon, just outside of London, where Polly was living, her daughter. When she was here, she strangled Doris with tape. She needs to stop doing this. I know. The following day, while still at Polly's house, she killed another boy. Henry Simmons. I don't know if he was being farmed or if she just killed him. Yeah. I don't really know that part, but she didn't have enough tape to kill him with, so she used the same bit she used on Doris, put both of their bodies into a weighted down bag and threw it into the Thames. Amelia was pleased with these kills as they had, as they had ran smoothly and were further from her home, so obviously she thought she could get away with them, but her assistant Jane was getting suspicious with her behaviour. There were too many odd things going on. The children she was putting to sleep at night were replaced by other babies in the morning. And there were too many, like, coming and going for it to be a coincidence. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, one I think Jane's going to sort of say... Is it Jane? Jane I fucking love Jane. Well, Jane, Jane, like, half. Okay. There's sort of two aspects to it, and Jane is with half. This this bitch is, like, 60. She's been doing this her whole life. Yeah, literally, she has been. It's 300 babies, could you imagine? Everyone needs money. Yeah. Horrible. Get job in a pie wanker. shop or something. I don't know yeah, what was around like then. Helena Bonham Carter in that's Fleet, all I'm thinking of. Fleet Street or whatever. <laughs> that's all I'm thinking about. Mm. Sweetie Todd. Sweetie Todd. Yeah, legit. Legit. Okay. One day when she went out for a walk, Jane looked into a window of a new shop front, which was filled with pictures of abused children. This was an NSPCC. Um, office, mm. which is the National Social the National Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children, which we are all familiar with now, mm-hmm. but it had only just been created then. Jane was heartbroken, and someone from inside the building, Mrs. Bennett, saw her and came out to console her. Jane told her about the amount of children at her home and the odd situations happening there, and Mrs. Bennett told her that her husband Charles would come and investigate, and it was from here that he followed Amelia Dyer constantly. Weeks later, Amelia's house started to give off a smell that Jane noticed, but Amelia brushed it off as nothing. It got worse, and Dyer knew it was the body of Helena Fry, who was a child she'd adopted for £10. For an unknown reason, Dyer hadn't gotten rid of the body straight away, and it sat decomposing for three weeks in a (gasps) parcel within the house. In a parcel? She wrapped them in, like, brown paper. Oh, my God. Yeah. Because I guess that decomposes, too. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't think that was her reason. I think it was just all she had. She's thinking of the planet. No, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Save the turtles. She threw Helena Fry's body into the Thames wrapped in parcel on the 30th of March, 1896, in the early hours of the morning. In an act of carelessness, she didn't check to see if it sunk to the bottom. Oh, nice one. Yeah. <laughs> She'd made it 30 years and she couldn't even wait like five minutes to see if her parcel sank. Okay. A man later that day saw the parcel floating in the Thames and retrieved it, opening it out of curiosity. Inside, he found Elena's body and rushed to the police. Along with a surgeon, they've got well loads of like members of staff, yeah. like, hospital workers around. 
Along with the surgeon, they arrived at the scene and were horrified to confirm the tape around her neck meant she'd been murdered. Oh, also, no. inside the parcel she was kept in was a train station label for Temple Mead Station in Bristol. And a handwritten note that hadn't been affected by the water. The note had a name, Mrs Thomas, and an address, 26 Piggott's Road, Lower Caversham, Reading. This was Amelia Dyer's address in... That's so near my mum. Yeah. <laughs> this was Amelia Dyer's address in early 1896, and when the police went to investigate, they got her new address. Um, but when they went to Piggott's Road, they discovered not only that she'd lived there, but also that her neighbours had seen a steady flow of babies going in and out of the house. And they also discovered um, she was connected to an investigation with the NSPCC. So there was, like, both halves... And it all fell into place from there, really. Okay. Instead of repeating their past mistakes and scaring her away, raiding her house, mm. they decided to do a sting and spy on her for more proof. They decided to impersonate, uh, send in an undercover police officer to impersonate a woman needing her services. The following day, when Dyer was expecting to receive the agreed-upon baby, she was met with the police instead. They raided the house and found evidence against her everywhere, including a tin can, which smelt like a dead body... So oh my god. Uh, one was like stashed in there. The following day she was charged with murder. More evidence came to light when the bag where she put Doris and Henry's bodies, so the two from when she was staying at her daughter's house, yeah. that bag was discovered in the Thames. 50 babies in total were discovered in the Thames between Reading and London. But she lived in Bristol for most of this, so it's sort of like... Yeah, it can't have even been that, like that yeah. much of the time. Yeah. And Amelia told the police, quote, you'll know mine by the tape around their necks. End quote. She's a horrible bitch. During her trial at the Old Bailey, she claimed insanity and said it was hereditary from her mother's mental illness uh, and used her asylum visits as proof, but doctors said it just wasn't true. The jury deliberated for four and a half minutes. (laughs) (laughs) They basically heard the end of the story and they were like, guilty, like Mm. immediately. Amelia Dyer was found guilty of murder and her sentence was death by hanging. On June 10th, 1896, Amelia Dyer was hung at Newgate Prison. Her last words were, I have nothing to say. Um, yeah. After this, baby farming was more intensely scrutinised, but did still happen. And a further three people were hung for murder from baby scrutinized. farming. Scrutinised? Oh, that's that's not great. <laughs> I'd prefer it if that wasn't happening. But, like, it still happens now. It's just illegal, isn't it? Like... I, once more child protective services came in, this was pushed out anyway because women didn't go to yeah. freelance baby farmers. I suppose the baby farming element isn't isn't necessarily the bad thing. It's no, the, it's the murdering. Yeah, yeah, that's it's literally like exactly that. This is really interesting though. Interestingly, a theory came about that Dyer was actually Jack the Ripper. <laughs> Wait, that was my face too. Um, as their crimes coincided time-wise, and the theory states that the sex workers who Jack the Ripper killed were actually women seeking abortions from Amelia is entertaining, but there's no evidence. Ooh. Yeah, like, she killed the women as well. But she was horrible, but she didn't butcher anybody. Yeah. So there's just no point. But yeah. That's interesting. So that's the end of that long, horrible, baby, murdery story. story. Yes. Well... That yeah. was not very light-hearted, considering sorry. the world's ending. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I am... Yeah, I should have known better, but what else am I supposed to do about we are weird people? We are weird people. That is the point. Hells, yeah. Um, well, yeah. Hopefully we will all still be on the internet in two weeks. Jenny is 
convinced that the internet <laughs> is going to disappear with this world pandemic. Look, everything bad is happening, and I think the only thing that could make staying indoors for two weeks worse would be... Having to you... play Monopoly over and over I over live again. on my own. I can't even play Monopoly. I'll be just playing Monopoly with myself, or running around the edge of the board. What did people do when they were... You'd have to read a fuckload. Masturbate. <laughs> but then how... You don't have anything to watch because the internet doesn't work. Exactly. Chomp on my knob! <laughs> <sighs> Any OG listeners will know. <laughs> From six weeks ago. <laughs> I am surprised if you stuck it out this long. But yeah, have a good Tuesday. Have a wonderful Tuesday. Stay healthy. Uninfected. Um, and... Don't listen to Boris Johnson too much. Oh, God, he's so, <laughs> so awful. Also, um, we will record another one, but we don't know when, especially if we have to self-isolate. Yeah. So the next one is going to come out in two weeks, but might not. So just bear with us. <laughs> um, fingers crossed for our usual fortnightly uploads. Uh, up- up- fortnightly uploads. <laughs> see, you, see you later, mate. Bye. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>